You're listening to audio from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where we train students to preach the word and reach the world. For more free resources like this one, visit www.swbts.edu forward slash media resources. Well, it is wonderful to be back after having been gone uh, for six months with the uh, sabbatical, and I'm delighted to return to Southwestern. Looking forward to a great semester. And while you are turning to Hebrews chapter 2 in the first paragraph in that chapter, verses 1 through 4, I want to ask you, have you noticed, those of you that have been around over the last couple of years anyway in chapel, have you noticed that whenever it is my time uh, to preach in chapel whenever I'm scheduled to preach, that Dr. Patterson always manages to be absent. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. I I feel like I I really can't blame him, bless his heart. I guess he's just intimidated by it all, so he just can't. And, of course, he's, he's preaching tomorrow, and so here's an opportunity today for you to see how it should be done, and then tomorrow to see how it should not be done, and... And uh, so be sure and remind him of that when he does uh, return tomorrow. But I am delighted to be with you today. We come to the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm going to do an exposition of these verses, but today my exposition will probably be shorter than normal, and my application will be longer than normal. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject the deadly danger of drifting spiritually. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. Of the top ten most frightening moments in my life, number four occurred when I was 14 years old and we were on vacation in Panama City Beach, Florida. I trotted out onto the beach with my uh, swimming trunks, carrying my floaty, and uh, trying to look like a stud puppy to impress the girls there. And uh, I marched out into the water, kind of glancing to my right and my left to see if any of the girls were looking and noticing. I couldn't really tell that they were at that point. But uh, I made my way out into the water, got about waist deep, got up on my raft and just sort of kicked back, just lying there in the sun, taking in the rays, listening to the waves, crashing onto the beach and being cool. And every now and then I'd look up, see, you know, people around, I'd hear voices, people around. And and, uh, then I would uh, lie back again and For a period of time, I had my eyes closed, not really sure how long, just lying there, just taking it all in. And then when I uh, sort of awakened from my reverie and looked up, I said to myself, where did the shore go? Because whereas the shore had not been much further than uh, about halfway out this auditorium, now it was well, well past that back wall and probably out toward the front yard out there. And I then began to say, what happened to my hotel? Where is it? I don't even see it. And it was 
buildings were much smaller, and way down there was my hotel, and I began to panic. You see, when you don't grow up on the beach, you don't live near the ocean, and you're 14 years old, you don't understand things like riptides and undertow. And so while I was kicking back trying to impress the ladies, I did not realize that I was drifting with the current and that the current was actually pulling me further out from the shore and then further down from where I had initially entered the water. And I panicked and I knew that I was at best only an average swimmer. And I knew that this water here was way over my head and who knows what lurks underneath just to swallow me up like a modern day Jonah. And I was panicking. I was really afraid. I knew if I fell off of this raft and I was left here alone that I, I would probably never make it back to shore. And so I gingerly got down on that raft. I, I laid down upon the raft and I began to paddle, dog paddle my way and fight that current. And it took forever. But finally I got back into the shallows and my feet touched the sand and I made it to the shore and I was never so happy to touch land as in all of my life. I had failed to recognize the deadly danger of drifting. Did you know that you can not only drift nautically, but you can drift spiritually? In fact, some of you in this building today are drifting spiritually right now. Oh, you're a Christian. You know you're saved. Not, no doubt about that. You settle that. You're not in doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is, truth be told, I fear that some of you today may be drifting. Notice what the author of Hebrews says to us beginning in verse 1 in what is called the first of the five warning passages in this book. The author of Hebrews is fond of doing exposition and then giving exhortation, even warning. And there are five of these passages. This paragraph is the first of the five. Now, you need to be careful here as you walk through these warning passages because lots of confusion and lots of disagreement exists over these warning passages. Sometimes people begin to read these and they think, well, this is talking about lost people. These, are, these warnings couldn't be addressed to believers. Must be talking about must be talking about unsaved people. Not so fast, my friend. You better pay careful attention to the context of all of these warning passages. And when you do, you will discover that they are addressed to believers, to people whom the author considered to be Christians. And he is warning believers in this passage about the deadly danger of drifting throughout Hebrews about the failure to press on to spiritual maturity. We see that clearly in Hebrews 6 in the key warning passage, the third, the middle passage of the five where he says, leaving behind the ABCs of the gospel, let us press on to not salvation, but press on to maturity. And he's talking about spiritual maturity. The context of the warnings is spiritual maturity. And so notice what the author says. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. When the author begins, therefore, this reason, he is harking back not just to the last verse of chapter 1, verse 14, 
where he says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those of us who are the heirs of salvation. But to both full paragraphs of chapter 1, he's harking back to the full chapter and particularly to the prologue where the author has said, hey, in the Old Testament, in the olden days, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken his final word to us in one who is by his character and nature a son. Notice that in the prologue, God has spoken in his son. God has spoken through the son, Jesus. All through the book of Hebrews, and it is, by the way, a written sermon, you will notice the emphasis, not so much on that which has been written, but on that which has been spoken. Virtually all of the scripture, Old Testament scripture that is introduced in Hebrews, the various quotations, uh, somewhere between 28 and 35, depending on whose count you take, the quotations from the Old Testament are not introduced in Hebrews with the standard phrase, it is written. No, they are introduced by God says, or the Holy Spirit says, or David says, and they are introduced as speech, and as speech that is directly applicable to the hearers this very day. And so the author of Hebrews is really keen on paying attention to the things that we have heard. And of course, he is talking about salvation and all that that entails. He is talking about sound doctrine. He is talking about the gospel. He is talking about the word of God. All of that is a part of what he means when he talks about, we better pay close attention to the things which we have heard. Sometimes we engage in selective listening. You ever notice that? I don't know how many times in my career as a professor, I began teaching adjunctively in 1985 while I was finishing up my Ph.D. work. While I was still pastoring, I taught adjunctively and then taught full-time both at Crystal College and here. And I don't know how many classes I've taught, Dr. Blazing, in those years. But uh, I never cease to be amazed periodically at some students. I'll come in the first day of class. They have the syllabus. I'll walk them through the syllabus. I'll explain maybe, you know, now this right here, when you read this chapter, this chapter in the assigned reading, this will be on the test. Uh, I repeat, this will be on the test. I repeat again, this will be on the test. And just as sure as shooting, you come down to the end of that class. All right, anybody got any questions? Somebody will raise their hand. Will that be on the test? Really? You've got to be kidding me. I only told you umpteen dozen times that it would be on there, and yet you asked me, will it be on the test? That's called selective hearing. If you have children... In your household, you know what selective hearing is all about. You know how they hear some things, but when they're told to clean their room or take out the garbage or whatever it may be, how they don't hear things. Well, you know, Christians can be the same way. We can be the same way. Selective hearing, not paying attention. Look at that phrase. For this reason, because God has spoken his final word in Jesus, we better pay much closer attention. Look at that. It's not just you better listen, it's you better pay close attention. The word is a very strong word. Pay much closer attention to that which we have heard. See, it's not only the initial hearing of it, but once you hear it, you better pay attention to it in the sense of putting it into practice. You better pay attention to it in the sense of obeying it. That was the problem of some of the people that the writer to Hebrews is addressing. They were not putting into practice what they believed. They were not living out the Christian faith. Some of them were quelling under the pressure of temptation and trials that were coming their way and persecution, and they weren't ready, weren't really sure, do we want to press on with Jesus? Do we want to go all the way? And the author says, look, don't stop, don't quit. You've got to keep going. You've got to press on. Pay close attention to these things that you have heard, that you've been taught, sermons you've heard, lessons you've taught. Pay close attention to this so that what? 
so that you do not drift away from it. This is a nautical term, drift. The author will use this kind of terminology a couple of other times in the book. He'll talk about in 619 that anchor of hope which we have, an anchor for the soul. And he's going to say that we must pay close attention that we don't drift spiritually. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. Each of us in this room, we are not immune to the deadly danger of spiritual drift. Our walk with God is the most crucial and is the supreme thing in our lives. If we blow it there, it doesn't matter how many A's you make in systematic theology, Greek, or preaching, or anything else. If we blow it there, it doesn't matter whether you become known as the greatest preacher, the greatest musician, the greatest missionary. If we blow it here, then we've blown it. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. To walk with God means to study His character. It means to meditate on His words. It means to devote yourself to His purposes. It means to converse with Him in prayer. These are the kinds of things, you might call them spiritual disciplines, but these are the kinds of things that Christians must engage in in order to walk with God and in order to arrest the spiritual drift in their life. You will not accidentally walk with God. It will take effort, work, devotion on your part to do so. No Christian ever marks time in the Christian life. You are either regressing spiritually or you are progressing spiritually. There is no such thing as the middle ground as marking time in the Christian life. You either, you either press forward, you either draw near, as the author says in Hebrews 10, 22, or you are drifting away, as he says and as he warns in chapter 2 and verse 1. Which is it in your life today? Where are you today? Where are you spiritually today? We better pay close attention to the things that we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. And then the author says there is a danger involved if you drift. If the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now this is a reference to the Old Testament, to the people of Israel on their way to the promised land. Notice the author says if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, stop right there. What in the world does that mean? Well, do you remember in Exodus when God called Moses up onto Sinai to give him the law? We are not specifically told there in the narrative, but we are told in Galatians 3 and in Acts chapter 7 that when God was giving that law and his precepts to Moses and those commandments to Moses, that angels were involved in the mediation of that process. So the angels were involved. That's amazing, isn't it? And thus thus the author says, if the word spoken through angels, God, of course, is the initial author, but the word angels there connects back to verse 14. He had talked about angels. Are not those angels ministering spirits sent forth to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And now back in the Old Testament at Sinai, if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, the word means absolutely secure, not capable of being changed And that was true of the law. The law was the Word of God. It could not be changed. It was God's Word. It was in that sense unalterable. And furthermore, those people in Israel on their way to the promised land who chose to violate that law 
Guess what? There were consequences. So he says, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Look at that. Every transgression and penalty received a just penalty. Look at that word transgression for a moment. That is a word that is used there to describe the character of sin. Look at that word disobedience for a moment. Literally, in Greek, that is the word unwilling to hear. There's a play on words here in the Greek text. Unwilling to hear. Disobedience is unwillingness to hear and obey God. That's what disobedience is. So every transgression, that's the character of sin. When you step over the line, that's a transgression. That's sin's character. But now, here, if you'll notice, is sin's cause. It is failure to hear. It's an inattentiveness on the part of God's people. Every transgression and every failure to hear due to inattentiveness received a just penalty. Take that poor old boy on the Sabbath we read about over yonder in the Pentateuch who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And the law said don't do that. And furthermore, the penalty of that was death. You say, my gracious, that's pretty severe, yeah? It's a serious thing to hear the Word of God and just to blatantly flagrantly disobey that word. And so that poor boy who was out there picking up sticks on the Sabbath, who knew better, but in the testimony on the testimony of two or three witnesses, he was brought in. He was found to be in violation of the law. He was stoned. Every transgression and disobedience receives its just penalty. How shall we escape? Those of us on this side of the cross... Those of us in the age of grace, how do we think we will escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hey, you say, of course, David, this is obvious. How could you miss this? You've really made a big mistake in your commentary because this is obviously talking about unsaved people. And sure, surely you know, David, that if people reject the gospel, then they wind up experiencing the penalty of that rejection, which is hell. Yes, of course I know that. That's just not what this passage is talking about. Notice that he doesn't say, if you reject it, he says, if we, re- if we neglect it. There's a big difference between rejection and neglect. Furthermore, the author's including himself in here. He says, any of us, including me, the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. Neglect. Neglect of the things of God. Neglect produces a casualness in the Christian life. Just sort of laissez-faire, drift along with the current. No big deal, miss church a little bit here. I'm not going to read my Bible that much this week. Too busy doing other things. Just become casual spiritually. And that leads to a coolness. Your heart, once on fire for the Lord, now becomes Cool toward Him, toward His Word, toward the things of God. And then that leads to a carelessness. You become careless in your Christian life. You become careless with the things of God. And and what was once clearly seen in your life now, that's just sort of a gray area and maybe not that big of a deal. If I do that, I fudged a little on the truth there, cheated a little bit on that Greek test. But, you know, the deadly danger of drifting spiritually. You know, drifting is the most, is the easiest, most pleasant 
most pleasurable way to die spiritually. Just drifting along. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls on the Niagara River above the falls, you're aware that there is a place on both sides of the banks of the falls there on the river prior to coming to the falls where you read the words, point of no return. Now what those signs are warning, anyone in the river, in a boat, on a raft, whatever, if you go past this point, Engineers have discovered that based on the width of the river, the rapidity of the current, the rate of the flow, and the distance from that point to the falls, no power on earth will keep you from going over those falls. You will pay the consequences if you go past the point of no return. Now keep in mind, we're not talking here about losing your salvation. We're talking about believers who are in danger. They are in some danger, but notice the author doesn't state what the retribution or discipline or judgment is. You have to get on into the book to figure that out, but it is not loss of salvation. It's not that. But it has to do with the discipline that God will bring into the life of believers who fail to press on to maturity, who just lollygag in the Christian life, thinking that, well, I'm saved, I'll just rest in that, I'm saved from the penalty of sin, and so now it doesn't really matter how I live, I'll just, I'll just rock along, do whatever. And God's saying, really? You think you're going to presume on my grace that way without experiencing discipline in your life as a believer. We better pay close attention to the things we've heard, lest at any time we drift away from it. Then he says in verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect? All right, this is key. Drifting is caused by neglect. It's caused by a failure to walk with God, a failure to spend time in His Word and on your knees in prayer, a failure in these areas, a failure to obey the Lord, to take your Christian life seriously. This kind of neglect is due to inattention. This kind of neglect is what causes drifting. You know, I've uh, had the privilege of preaching a lot of different places in recent years. Uh, I fly a lot of different places. And one of the things I love to do when I'm on a plane, after I get in there and sit down and they get ready to taxi away, I like to watch what people are doing when the flight attendants begin to give us all of the safety instructions. And I'm, I watch other people while that's going on. It's absolutely amazing to me. And so here the flight attendant comes on and, you know, he or she says, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard flight 1712 to Atlanta, Georgia. We're glad you're with us today. We want to acquaint you with some of the safety features of this aircraft. You'll notice your seat belt has a buckle. Be sure and keep your seat belt buckled at all times while you're in your seat. And uh, in the unlikely event of loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will appear. If you're traveling with an infant or young child, please place the mask first over your own face and then over that of your child. Pull the straps carefully. And in the unlikely event of a water landing... Now, stop right there. I've always wanted to interrupt right there and say, Lady, don't you know? It's you know, sort of like in the unlikely event of a water landing. It's sort of like the pilot turns to the co-pilot or the co-pilot turns to the pilot and says, Hey, Ralph, today, instead of landing on the on the runway, why don't we just land this thing in the lake over there? (laughs) Folks, if it's a water landing, that's not a landing, that's a crash. (laughs) 
In the unlikely event of water landing, your seat bottom cushion can be used as a flotation device and they go through. And so I'm watching what other people are doing. And isn't it amazing? You know what I'm talking about. What are other people doing? They're paying zero attention. I mean, the old boy over here, he's got his cap over his face and he's taking a nap. Two ladies right up there, they're talking. And then here's another guy over here, he and his wife, and they're you know reading a magazine and somebody else is snacking over here. Nobody's paying one iota of attention to what is being said. You know why? Two reasons. Number one, they've heard it all before. Number one, they've heard it all before. I've heard all those Bible stories. I know what all that's about. I know this introduction to the New Testament. I've heard that. I grew up in church. I've, I've heard it all before. Don't need to pay that close of attention. I've heard it all before. I've heard preachers preach on that t- passage. I've heard it all before. And number two, they do not consider the danger to be sufficient enough to warrant their attention. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. Oh, that's what that's what happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. Well, that's what other people do. Not not me. And the deadly danger of drifting spiritually is evidenced in a host of ways, but I want to mention two and dwell on these a moment in application today. The deadly danger of drifting is evidenced by your attitude toward Scripture and prayer. Your attitude toward the Bible and prayer. You see, when you're drifting, you neglect reading the Bible devotionally. Oh, that doesn't happen to you here. You're in seminary. We're here professionally studying the Bible. We're about professional theology. We're doing biblical studies. But I'm afraid sometimes in our classes, we are treating the living Word of God, Acts 4.12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged scalpel. I'm afraid that we are treating the living Word of God like a corpse, a cadaver. And we are theological coroners doing an autopsy. And we're wearing our white theological robes and we come in a sanitized way to the Word and we have our chief coroner there in our class who says, now look there, there's an aorist subjunctive. Oh. And then notice here, this is a present active indicative, third person singular. Ooh. And then notice how this is connected. And if you'll look carefully here, why, there is a genitive Absolute, oh my. And we work our way methodically and with in sanitized fashion through the living Word of God like it's a corpse. And the very meaning of the words which are alive and living, the very words of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it's all His Word. These are the very words of God and yet we treat them as dead. And even worse, we come to our personal Bible study times and we make the assumption that because I'm in seminary and I'm studying, because I'm in Bible college, because I'm in the college at Southwestern and I'm studying the Scripture, that's all I need. That's all that's important. I don't need a devotional time. I'm already spending so much time in the Bible in class. The deadly danger of drifting 
spiritually. Neglect of the word. Neglect of the application of the word, of reading it to fellowship with God, not reading it to pass a test. And then neglect of prayer. There are a lot of things that will hinder, that will cause you to drift spiritually in this area of an inattentiveness to the Word and to the reality and importance and cruciality of prayer in your life. There are several things that will keep you from the Word and prayer. One is noise. You need to turn off your television more than you do. You need to turn off your computer more than you do. You need to turn off your cell phone. Quit getting those texts. You need to get away from Facebook. I think some of you all live on Facebook 24-7. You need to get away, turn our, get rid of all of this noise. Another distraction is hurry. We're always in such a hurry, rush, rush, hurry, hurry. That's the way it is today, hurry. May I say to you this morning, you cannot become holy in a hurry. It doesn't work that way. You cannot walk with God in a hurry. You cannot be holy in a hurry. You've got to make sure that you get alone with God and that you get out of the hurry business. Charlie Brown's friend Lucy took a speed reading course. And then she was telling Charlie Brown about it. She said, my first book I read, I just read it last night for a few hours. It only took me a few hours of my new speed reading skills. I read Tolstoy's War and Peace. It was about Russia. You can't read Tolstoy's War and Peace overnight. And you can't become holy in a hurry. It's just not possible. You have got to take the time. Number three is crowds. What did Jesus say when he taught us to pray? He said, when you pray, enter into your your closet. You've got to get away from the cloud, the crowds, in other words. Crowds. Have you noticed in the Bible when God gets ready to use someone greatly, he first isolates them? Have you noticed that? Study your Bible carefully. Moses, God puts him on the backside of the desert for 40 years. He isolates him and prepares him for his great task. David, (laughs) called to be king, anointed king as a teenager, but for 13 years, according to Samuel, he flees from Saul. He lives in caves and in the woods. For 13 years, he is isolated. And during that time, God so works in his heart, he becomes a man after God's own heart and Israel's greatest king, John the Baptist. God called him the forerunner of the Messiah and put him out on the de- in the desert with camel's hair and locusts. Such an odd character who would come into town every now and then to preach but he shook a nation in preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. Paul, when he was saved, immediately was taken by, led by the Spirit for three years, spending time in the Arabian desert. Oh, what fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit he had, receiving the truths that he would later write about in the 
the letters of Paul. When God gets ready to use someone greatly, He isolates him. Listen, you can flutter around with all the other buzzards down here close to the ground, or you can live like an eagle high atop the crag in isolation, seeing the big picture and fellowshipping with God in a way that you can never do when you spend all your time flocking with the turkeys down here. Crowds. Fatigue. You get tired. What did Jesus say to the disciples? After busy ministry, He said, come aside and rest a while. Fatigue can lead you to drift. Distracted minds. You ever been praying and your mind is distracted and suddenly your mind, you know, jumps to something else? That's frustrating when that happens, isn't it? Lord, I want to thank you for the day. Lord, I pray for my wife today. I pray for my kids today. And then all of a sudden, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, (laughs) general of the Felix Legions. Loyal subject of the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. It's pretty hard to pray when you're thinking about Gladiator. It's tough. It's tough to do. Does that ever happen to you, or am I just the only one who's gotten that (laughs) T-shirt? Distracted minds will hinder you. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How close to Jesus are you right now? Back yonder in that section, how close to Jesus are you right now? Over here. In this section here, how close to Jesus are you right now? Would it surprise you if I were to tell you I know exactly how close to Jesus each one of you is this very moment? Dr. Lee, I know exactly how close to Jesus you are right now. Travis, I know exactly how close to Jesus you are right now. All of you in this section, ladies and gentlemen, I know exactly how close to Jesus you are right now. All the way up this aisle, all the way up this section, all the way to the back. I know exactly how close to Jesus each one of you is right now. Vern, I know exactly how close to Jesus you are right now. You say, well, I'd like to know how you know that. Well, I'd be glad to tell you. You see, the fact of the matter is you are just as close to Jesus right now as you want to be. If you wanted to be closer to Him, you would be. If you wanted to walk in fellowship with Him this morning, you would do so. You would pay whatever price is necessary to walk as closely with your Savior because each one of us this morning is just as close to Jesus as we want to be. The deadly danger of drifting. The fact of the matter is that the fire devotion in some of our hearts is burning low, isn't it? Some of you could write your spiritual autobiography at this point and entitle it in two words, Once ablaze! Once ablaze for God, once on fire for Him. But now you've drifted. And what once excited you doesn't excite you as much anymore 
and the things of God and going to the house of God and the word of God and fellowship with God in prayer moves you little as it once did. Set us afire, Lord, stir us, we pray. While the world perishes, we go our way, purposeless, passionless, day after day. Set us afire, Lord, stir us, we pray. How we need a hot heart for Jesus again. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. Do you know what the one tendency of all fire is? The one tendency of all fire is to go out. Left alone, if you don't feed that flame and if you don't fan that flame, it will burn low and ultimately will go out. The same is true in your spiritual life. If you do not feed the flame with the wood of the Word of God, and if you do not fan the flames with the breath of your prayers, staining the walls of your house or your bedroom or your study with your prayers, you will drift, I promise you. The deadly danger of drifting... What did God tell the priests in Leviticus chapter 6 to do with the fire on the altar of burnt offering? Five times in that chapter, he says, do not let the fire go out. He miraculously gave that fire and God said, don't let it go out. Don't let the fire of your devotion for Christ burn low this morning. Don't let that happen. Pay the price to walk with God as you should. Be the man of God, the woman of God. Take seriously the things that you've heard so that you do not drift away from it. No heart is pure that is not passionate. And unless you are passionate for Jesus, you will be prone to sin. And you will take sin lightly and you will take it, you will not take it seriously. And it will just be no big deal to you. Just to, I'm, I'm saved, I'm under the blood. And you will lack a seriousness in your Christian life. It is possible to become fussily busy in your work in the holy place that you lose the wonder of a holy Lord. It is possible to point the way to others and lose the way yourself. It's possible that you become a signpost instead of a guide. It is possible that your study, preacher, becomes a workroom or a boardroom instead of an upper room. These are the deadly dangers that face those of us who are believers. We are prone to make the mistake and to assume and become fall under the delusion that good preaching is good living. That expository skill is deep spirituality. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. I knew a student at Southwestern few years back, several years back. He was here from 1978 to 1981. He had a pretty decent mind and he loved the Lord, but he made a big mistake because he assumed that since he was studying theology and studying Greek and Hebrew and he he just rationalized that he was constantly in the Bible in classes. And so sometimes he let his spiritual life drift. He let his devotional life. He wasn't as faithful to his devotional reading of Scripture as he should be. And he didn't quit praying, but he just he didn't pray like he should have. And he had sort of an impatient temperament and sort of had the gift of gab. And 
He wanted to serve the Lord, but uh, he he lacked experience. How do you get a student like that? How does a student like that ever overcome those penchants and ever become useful as a tool in the hands of the Lord in ministry? The only way, the only way is a daily walk with God. There is no other way. And I know that student well. His name is David Allen. You know, when I was here, I loved to read. I read all the time, collected books, still collect them, love books, love reading, love study, love the Greek New Testament, love teaching, love writing. And all of those things, love preaching. But you know, if we're not careful, we can substitute those things and assume that all of that means that we are walking with God. And it does not mean so. Jesus said in the letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4, I have this one thing against you. What is it, Lord? We're doctrinally straight. We're morally sound. What is it? I have this against you. What, Lord? You have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. The fires of your love and devotion are not burning in your breast like they once did. And then Jesus said, repent. The last word in the Bible, the last exhortation to believers is not go ye. In the, in the text of Scripture, the last exhortation is repent ye. Addressed to believers. Repent. Remember where you fall and repent and repeat. Do the first works. Everybody has a first love. First love is fervent love. First love is conversant. Remember how you used to talk to her all the time? I mean, you just couldn't, you just had to talk. And this was before the days when Sherry and I were dating. This was before the days of cell phones. And man, she lived in Birmingham and I was a student here in Texas. And we carried on this long distance relationship for two years before we got married. And I cannot tell you how tough that was. I had staggering phone bills. Why? I just want to talk to her all the time. Oh, it's costly, yeah, but just want to, that's what that's what honeymoon love is like. It's conversant, it's affectionate. This is the kind of love we ought to have for the Lord. If you love Jesus, you want to be with Him. If you love Jesus, you want to talk to Him. If you love Jesus, you want to read immediately what He has to say to you. Can you imagine getting a love letter from your that the person that you're dating who's long distance and you get a letter from them? And yet the letter comes in the mail, and there it is, and you have it. I know this is before the days of email, and I understand all that. This is what it used to be before those days. But if, if you were to get a letter, a hard letter, I mean, I know that you see them in museums. Some of you don't even know what those are, but you know what I'm talking about. You get a letter from that person you love, and you put it down on the desk and say, well, I'll open it later tonight after I get home from work. Is that what you do? No, you rip into that letter, and you read it, and then is it, do you only read it once? No, you read it a second time. Do you only read it twice? No, you read it three or four times. Then you come back the next day, you read it again. Why? Because you're in love. You're in love. When you're in love with Jesus, things are different. Things are different in your life. Things are different in your relationship with Him when you're in love with Him. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, said... In one of his prayers, he said, Oh God, I will keep the ground that you have given me. 
the ground that you have, what God has taught you in holy living and where you are spiritually. Don't give up that ground. Don't drift. Don't relinquish it to Satan. I will keep the ground which you have given me. The deadly danger of drifting spiritually. His widowed mother brought him to London, England to apprentice him to a barber in 1748, but Robert Robinson was not interested. And though he took up that profession for five years, he would get with teenagers at night and they would look for trouble. One night they came across a gypsy band and they found a gypsy fortune teller and they came up with a great idea. They concocted this idea. Man, it'd be great if we could get her drunk and then have her tell our fortune in her inebriated state. So they did. They got her off to the side and got some wine and they got her drunk. And then she went around and she began to tell the fortune in her inebriated state of all these teenage boys. She came to Robert Robinson. He was about 19 years of age now. And she said something very pedestrian, very uneventful about him. She said, you'll live to see your grandchildren. The next two or three months, Robert Robinson could not get those words out of his mind. He was troubled. He knew his life was a mess. One day, he saw a huge crowd there on the outskirts of London. He walked closer, and there was a cross-eyed, heavy-set preacher with a booming voice named George Whitfield who was preaching the gospel. And Robert Robinson was converted His life was changed. He felt immediately, almost immediately called to preach. And at the age of 23, he was concluding his sermon, a sermon on total dedication to Jesus. And he rewrote his conclusion several times. Nothing just seemed to fit. And then words began to come to him and he wrote these words down, which he then used to conclude his sermon the next Sunday morning. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Yes, Robert Robinson, first a Congregationalist and then convicted of Baptist theology, became a Baptist pastor in Cambridge, England. For the rest of his life, pastoring Cambridge. He's the author of the words of that hymn. Come thy fount of every blessing. Do you remember? Do you remember that portion of that stanza? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. They say that Robert Robinson, years later as an older man, drifted spiritually himself from the Lord. Took a leave of absence from his church one day riding in a coach along with only one young lady. And she was so happy and so exuberant. She was reading something. It was just so exciting. And she was irritating to Robert Robinson. She finally said, oh, sir, let me, I want you to hear this. This is just great. Lady, I'm not interested. No, you, you got to hear this. These are wonderful words. And then she said to him, come my fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Robert Robinson, his tears began to well up in his eyes, confessed that he was the author of those words actually many years earlier. And that now he didn't feel them anymore. He had drifted. And then he is reported to have said this, I would give a thousand worlds if I could feel that way once again. That young Christian girl said, Oh, but sir, look at what you wrote. Those streams of mercy are never ceasing. And that day, Robert Robinson came back to the Lord.
the deadly danger of drifting spiritually. We better pay close attention to the things we've heard, lest we drift. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Thank you for listening to this audio from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want more information on our academic programs, or if you would like to support our mission, visit www.swbts.edu.